So we are, uh, we are in a series called After God's Heart. And today's message is the center of the whole book. It's the, it's the, the center thing that God wants to speak. Called, it's called After God's Heart Worship. So would you stand with me as we look into God's Word? And 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. <clears throat> but now your kingdom will not endure. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And then over in 1 Samuel verse 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word today. Lord, I, my heart is bursting with this message. And I pray, Father, in a mystery that I could be hidden that we would hear your voice, not my voice, Lord, so that we can respond to you and not me. Please, God, this is so vitally important today. Speak, God. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the first time that God introduces Samuel to David, it is not by name or by sight, but by an attribute. There is somebody that I found that is after my heart. And he hasn't even met him yet. And so when he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse, and he says, uh, he, and Samuel gives the message to Jesse, one of your sons is going to be the next king. Um, Samuel still doesn't know who it is. And so he comes uh, to the house, and this is in 1 Samuel 16, and, and Jesse's got his sons all dressed up, and, and seven of the sons are there, and they're all ready, looking very kingly. And Samuel gives gets to the very first one, Eliab, and frankly, Eliab looks like a king. He's just got, he's got that look. He, he is handsome and strong and tall, and, and so Samuel says to himself, surely, surely we don't need to look any farther. This is the Lord's anointed, and, and God says, no, no. I, I'm not, I don't look the way people look. People look at appearance. They look at how you look and what your height is or what your degrees are or what your, your gifts are or, or how you come across, your, your social ability. People look at all of that. But God says, I, I look through that. I actually look to see what is in the heart. And I found somebody after my heart turned out that he wasn't even in the room. That Jesse, the only one Jesse thought it wasn't going to be was David. And David had to be brought in. They had to go find him because he was, he was with the sheep. You may be overlooked by people. 
You may not be chosen by people, but make no mistake about it, it doesn't matter. God is looking. It says in 2 Chronicles 16:9 that he searches the whole earth. His eyes go to and fro, and he's looking for those whose hearts are completely his so that he can show himself strong to them and through them. It says in John chapter 4, verse 23, that, that true worship, Jesus is explaining to the woman at the well, true worship is in spirit and it is in truth. It is not in a building. It's, it's in spirit. It, you, it, this can happen anywhere. And it's, it's in reality. It's not a, an idol. It's, it's real worship before the real God. That's what true Truth there means. And he said, The Father is seeking worshipers, the uncreated God who is forever content in himself and has no need, is seeking the human race. And he's looking for these hearts of worship. So, three points. Number one is the delight of worship. When God created mankind, he placed him in Eden. Eden means delight. We were created to be God's delight and to find our greatest delight in him. But sin destroyed that. Sin ruined that. And so we've got generations and years and years and years and years go past. And this vision of delight is lost. There are many that believe in God. There's many that fear God. There's many that obey God. But it is not, Eden is not restored until the, it's found in the heart of David. Yeah. That David, David, somehow David's eyes got opened. In Psalm 18, verse 19, he says, he's, he's brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He got a vision that God, he wasn't just tolerated by God, that he was a delight to God. And then he invites us in Psalm 37, 4 to delight ourselves in the Lord. Make this your business. Get delighted in God. And then he will give you the desires that are in your heart. That when you choose to make God your delight, there is a renewing of his presence and of his word that literally puts God's desires in your heart so that you're not constantly at conflict with God. David found the secret joy of God's manifest presence. Psalm 16, 11, in your presence is fullness of joy. He somehow had this secret revelation of the beauty of God. Even in the midst of all the pain in this world and all the difficulties, he caught a glimpse of the beauty of God and it changed everything for him. This is, this is how the vision statement of David's life was written, Psalm 27. For you can't have this if you don't have the secret, this secret delight in God. David says this, one thing have I desired and that is what I'm going to seek after. This is what my life's going to be about. That I might dwell in the presence of the Lord. That I might behold 
of my days, the beauty of God. This is, this is the, the secret that fueled David's devotion. This is what it means to be after God's heart. So in 1982, I got saved, started going to this church, or 81, started in 82, started going to this church. It was called Madison Gospel Tabernacle. And I was a youth worker for Roger Olson. Roger is, is with the Lord now. He's one of my mentors. I absolutely love Roger and who he was and who he still is with the Lord now. But, um, and so he wanted me actually and Alice to be counselors at camp. We were both youth workers. And so we started going to Spencer Lake Youth Camp in 1983 and I went every single year until we moved to Minnesota so 83 to 91 I was at Spencer Youth Youth Camp every year first as a counselor where I had kids in my camera uh, cabin and then the dean of counselors where I was in charge of all the counselors and da 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 but the highlight of camp every year every service was not the great speakers even though there were great speakers and it wasn't even the worship up front, um, even though there was always good worship at camp, but there was this secret time that at the end of, of youth camp, every service, every, every year, um, the, the, the speaker asks for a response. The kids all come to the front and they're all up there. and We do a couple worship songs and they're there and they get prayed for and whatever. And then the camp pastor gets up and he says these words, we are now going to continue in worship, but you are now dismissed to go to the snack shop. Those that want to stay can stay, but if you want to go, you are released to the snack shop. And with that, 95% of the kids, minimum, got up and went left. And uh, they left for two reasons. One, because they were hungry. Two, the service had probably gone too long in their mind. Three, um, they wanted to, this was when they got to mix with the opposite sex. And, and they wanted to go and see the girls or see the boys or, or whatever. So what they didn't know was it was almost like God waited for them to leave. The greatest worship the greatest manifestation of God's glory was when everybody else had left. It was, just, it was just a few of us, and they would continue worshiping. And I would stay always, every year, every night, until the very end, until the last, because there, there is this secret joy that is found in God's presence. There's nothing in this world like it. And I knew, I knew these kids, these kids didn't know the secret. They grew up in church. They were around. They were familiar. They had been in this field called religion, but really hadn't seen much of the actual treasure of who God is. Matthew 13, 44. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field that when a man sees it, First thing he does is hides it again to protect it. And then for joy, he goes and sells everything he has 
that he might own that field and own that treasure. And I don't know if you even knew this, but this is the central verse of City Church. This is the mission statement. It used to be on our bulletin. Now it's on our back. While you go out there, there's a, a, a skyline of Madison, but it's got these words on it, which is our mission statement. Finding joy in Jesus Christ and sharing it. What are, what are we doing here? Why, why does this church exist? Here's why. Find joy in Jesus Christ and then share it. But it's interesting Before you can sell everything for joy, you actually have to see the treasure. And what Jesus is describing is not somebody that's out looking for a treasure. In that day, there weren't banks. So if you got a treasure or you got spoils from some type of war or whatever, what you would do is bury it. You'd bury it in the backyard. And because of war, because of quick death in that time, Oftentimes, treasures were lost. They're out there somewhere buried. And this guy is just walking along, and apparently erosion has revealed part of this treasure. He's like, what is this? And he, he starts digging, and oh my. And he digs it all up. This, I'm, I'm, I'm now a multi-billionaire if I can just own this field. So he quits, buries it again. And because he's seen something that the owner of that field didn't see, For joy, he goes and says, whatever you want for this field, I will buy it. You can't sell for joy until you've seen. And and honestly, you can't see unless God opens your eyes. God has to open our eyes. There is a secret of God's love for you that's beyond theological. It is experiencing his love for you intimately. And it changes everything. There is a secret joy in his presence. And there's a secret of his beauty. When, when that secret is, I, 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 honestly, I don't know how you could walk outside and not see the beauty of God everywhere. Can, can you, these leaves, are you kidding me? I, I just go out, I'm just like, who are you, God? Why is this season so short? God, why don't you leave those leaves out? You took all this time to paint all those leaves, and now you're just going to let them fall to the ground? Second <laughs> Samuel 6, 23, 20 through 23. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish ones, shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you've spoken with, I will, not, I will be distinguished. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. As we talk about worship today, we're going to see in each one of my points a contrast between Saul and David. Saul represents what God is not looking for. David is what God is looking for. 
And so this is the story of David bringing the ark in. The ark is where the manifest presence of God rested. And David is just very, very wholehearted. And he's dancing before this ark. And, 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 and Michael, the daughter of Saul, of the same spirit of Saul, is very concerned about how other people are going to see David. And David, you're, you're making a fool of yourself in front of the people and in front of these mates. And frankly, it's embarrassing to me. And David is like, he's just stunned. He's like, I wasn't worshiping in front of, the, in front of anybody. This wasn't about who was watching me. This was before the Lord. This was about God. Worship, my dear wife, Michael, isn't about who's watching you. It is about Jesus. It is about God. It is about who he is. He says, I'm, I'll look worse than this in my own eyes. This isn't about people. This isn't about what I think about myself or how people think I'm worshiping. This is about who he is. And I'm all in for who he is. Saul's worship was more about people seeing him worship. <laughs> he said, please, please return with me, Samuel. Please return with me. Yeah, I've sinned, but please return with me and honor me before the people. And, and, and so Samuel, he finally dragged Samuel along and it says that, 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 the, the, that Saul worshiped in front of all Israel. Here's Saul's worship. I love you, God. You see in this, seeing how holy I am? I love you, God, who's watching. You know why we, you know why we turn the lights down in here during worship? Romance. It's not about what somebody else is doing. It's about, it's your time to engage with God. And I think God wants to take our worship to another level. I, we've got a young lady in our a young adult named Kaylee, and she wanted to start this dance class to help people be more wholehearted in their worship and, and get into it more and, and express with their bodies. And, and so they, they just finished their class yesterday. They, get, they had eight people in the class, and they're, they're, they're learning to worship with everything. And, uh, and I, said, I, I said, Kaylee, I want you guys to be released tonight at worship and, or Worshiping and Waiting. I want the dancers released. You guys, you guys come down and dance. Come, come, take us to another level. I just really want to encourage you to not judge other people's worship. To not look and say, raising their hand, I know them, They're, that's not real. The hypocrite. Huh. Maybe they are, who cares? They're not... It's not, a, it's not about what other people are doing. It's about what you're doing. God's calling us to be all in, folks. He's calling us. He's calling us to take our worship to another level. To recognize that God's, we were created to be God's delight. And to find our delight in Him. And honestly, if you get that right, you're going to be covered in everything else. You're just going to be covered. Everything else will actually fade even in its, in its importance. 
Point two, the sacrifice of worship. There's two times when you make a sacrifice of worship. The first one is when bad things happen to you. Psalm 34 has a prescript. And it's interesting because even though these are not verses, they are part of the real Bible. They are inspired by God. A prescript is something written before a psalm that tells you when it was written. Okay, so the prescript of Psalm 34 is this was written by David when he appeared insane in front of Abimelech. Uh, so here's, here's what's going on in David's life at this time. It's, it's really a disaster. <laughs> he was anointed uh, by Samuel, and then the next chapter he kills Goliath, and then the next chapter Saul makes him the general of his army, and everything's going in the right direction, and David's getting better and better, and, and this is how it should go. I'm, I'm pleasing God, I'm obeying God, and God's promoting me, and there's favor on me, and everything is good, and everything's getting better, and then he's going to marry the king's wife, and, and it's just, his life is just amazing. And then it takes a horrible, horrible turn. Saul becomes jealous, decides David is, a, is, a, is, is trying to compete with him, and he decides David has to be killed. So he starts chasing David around. He's spreading rumors that David is an enemy. David is disloyal. David is, and so David's name has become bad, and there's an army going after him. And so David has to flee to enemy territory. So he's in the land of the Philistines, and, and somebody recognizes him, and they bring him before the king of Bimelech, and they say, this is the one that the songs are sung about. David has killed his Ten thousands. This is our arch enemy. It is time to kill him. And David realizes that his life is in jeopardy. The king in that day decided if the king says you die, you die. So David starts pretending he's insane. He starts foaming at the mouth and grunting and groaning. And, and Abimelech is like, are you kidding me? Aren't there enough crazy people already in this land that you'd bring this one? Get him out of my presence. David's whole life is right now very, very uncertain. He has done nothing but please God to this point, and he's just in horribly bad circumstances. And then he writes this psalm, Psalm 34, verse 1. Look at this. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will continually be in my mouth. Do you want to be a friend of God? You know what the Bible says what a friend is? A friend is someone who loves at all times. Not just when they like what you're doing, not just when you're in a good mood and you're being something that they like, when, 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 when you're doing something, when you're doing something they don't like, when you're at your worst, when you're, the, a friend loves you at all times. That's how you find out who your friends are. It's who stays with you when it's, when it's difficult. And you would think David's worship would go down because of his circumstances are way worse. But David isn't about that. David is, is, he says in verse 8 here, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is tasting the goodness of God in the midst of horrible circumstances. His, his praise is always in my mouth. His praise, I will bless him at all times, not just during good times. And this is the sacrifice of worship. 
This is where our worship becomes pure. And so we have a real opportunity right now, don't we, guys? COVID-19, life is difficult. Politics, crazy in this land. The, the very future of our land is very much uncertain. It's very hard to know exactly what's going to happen in the future. And here we are in the midst of it. I don't like it. I don't like how it is. I can't go, okay, it just is what it is. Let's bless the Lord. Let's praise him. Let's worship him. I was with a good friend, John Ruck, who's very important to this church and the foundation of this church. And he gave me permission to share his, a little of, of our encounter together. John is dealing with Parkinson's right now. It's got him a little shaky. Bonnie is going through health issues where she, she is basically wheelchair bound and needs a miracle. Um, and on top of all this, John had a double hernia operation and had just gotten out of the hospital. And so I called, I said, bro, can I come over? And he said, yeah, come on over. So here I am, I'm sitting over there and, and I said, John, how are you doing? How are you doing really with all of the stuff that's going on? And he said, you know, Tom, he said, I can't really describe it, but he said, Every morning I wake up and there's joy in my spirit. He said, the best way to describe it, he said, I've got this plaque downstairs and it says this. It says, don't wait until the storm is over. Learn to dance in the rain. And he said, the, the, the best way I can describe what's happening to me right now is God's teaching me how to dance in the rain. Lord, would you teach us how to praise you at all times, to taste of your goodness in all circumstances. Teach us to dance in the rain. The other, the other time that we make a sacrifice of worship, so one is when bad things happen to us that instead of getting offended with God, we, we choose to worship him. That's the sacrifice of worship. Here's the other sacrifice of worship. So one was when bad things happen to you. The other one is when you do bad things. Here's Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands. Oh, I'm sorry. Psalm 51. For you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. This is another one of the Psalms that has a prescript. This Psalm was written after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He not only committed adultery with this woman, he killed her husband to cover it up and then, uh, and then um, continued on covering his sin with religion. 
Just pretended like it didn't happen and he continued to make these burnt offerings and sacrifices and just kept going to church and going through the motions and, and he basically was covering the reality with religion. And he says, you don't delight, you don't delight in religion. <laughs> you don't delight in a cover-up. And the prophet came and spoke to him. And that's what led to the writing of this psalm. Now, what David did was horrible, but it can be very encouraging for us because David has sinned worse than anyone here could have sinned. How how do you mean that, Pastor Tom? Well, when the prophet comes, this is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, what he says to David is, from God, how could you? I made you king of Israel. I chose you when you were nothing. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I've given you wives. I've given you castles. I've given you a position. And, and, now, and, and he said, and if this hadn't been enough, all you needed to do was ask. I could do more for you. But instead, you have caused my enemies to blaspheme against me. Everybody knows you're, you're my guy. And now you've caused the enemies of God to blaspheme. How could you, David? And the sin that he committed? Uh, adultery, bad. Murder, worse. But let me tell you what's worse than, than both the adultery and the murder. This woman's husband, his name is Uriah the Hittite. David had these 30, they were called the mighty men. There were 30 mighty men. Actually, later on, I'll have a whole sermon on the mighty men. But these were the guys that were David's inner circle. They were the most loyal to him. The Holy Spirit had come on them and said, David, we are yours. We, we will fight your enemies. We will give our lives for you. We, we have undying life. These are the best guys that he has. This is the inner circle. And one of the chapters lists the mighty man. And do you know who's in that list? Uriah the Hittite. This is not just adultery and murder. This is betrayal at a a horrible, horrible level. Why is that encouraging? Because you haven't sinned worse than David. So here's the sacrifice that he makes. You're not looking for religion. You're looking for a broken and contrite heart. Let me describe a broken and contrite heart to you. David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. You, I do not deserve forgiveness and you do not owe me forgiveness. I am absolutely broken before you. And he says, this is how the psalm starts, remember me, O God, not according to my sin, but according to your great mercy. I am casting myself completely undeserving before the mercy of Almighty God. I 
I confess that I've been played religion. And here I am, God. God forgave David. Just like God wants to forgive you and me. But we can't play games. David said in verse 6, you desire truth in the innermost being. You've you got to get honest with God. You, can't, you can impress people, you can fake people, but you can't fake God out. You've got to get really, really dreadfully honest. When Saul sins, and the prophet comes to Saul too and says, sin, Saul makes a very small thing of it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I've sinned. Come back and honor me before the people. And, and, and Samuel tears the robe, and, and, or Saul tears his robe. As Samuel says, no, I'm not coming back. He tears the robe, and he says, so, Samuel turns around and says, so God has torn the kingdom away from you. And Saul says, yeah, I know, I know all that. Would you please come back and honor me before the people? Why? Because Saul loved being the king. He loved the praises of men. Please, this is the one thing that I cherish is how people see me. Do you know what David asked to be spared from? Do you know what David? What David's one thing was? Listen to it. This is... I, uh, Psalm 51, 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a willing spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. God, whatever else has to go, please, God, please, God, don't take you away. Restore to me the joy of my salvation that is in you. Restore that secret joy that I don't know how I got away from it, but I drifted away from it and I got into religion and that's where I went wrong. God, bring me back. Whatever else has to be taken away, fine. But bring me back to that connection with you because it's the most precious, valuable thing in my life. That is the sacrifice of repentance. It is true worship when we have done bad. And then last point, the multiplication of worship. First Chronicles 13, 1 through 3. Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is from the Lord our God, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in the land of Israel, also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their cities with pasture lands, that they may meet with us and let us bring back the ark of our God to us. For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. David now, it's not just about his secret delight in God. He, he wants the ark, the manifest glory of God, the manifest presence of God to be the center of Israel. This is what should be center. This is the very beginning of his reign. He wants to make God's presence center. We never sought the ark in the days of Saul. Why? For Saul, the middle, he wanted to be the middle. 
He made a monument to himself. He wanted the attention to be on him. David says, this isn't about me. This isn't supposed to be about me. This is about the presence of God. But I can't make it corporate myself. So he gets the leaders together. And he says, guys, are you with me on this? Instead of having a charismatic personality be the middle of this, instead of having a king, let's make the very glory, the very presence of God be the center of this. In Psalm 132, we have these words, verses 1 through 5. Remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, all his affliction, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, surely I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David is absolutely on fire that there needs to be on earth a place made for the presence of God. God's presence is in heaven, but he's on a mission. This is the passion. He, he's, it's more important to him than his sleep. We need to have God here. We need to welcome God here. Somebody needs to make a place and say, we don't want to do this without you. God, come and make a place. And he makes a vow to the Lord. This is going to be the burning passion of my life. And then Psalm 132 records... God's response to this posture. Here's what God says to David. You made a vow to me. This is how you're setting your heart. Really? Then I'm going to make a vow back to you, David. And here's the vow he gives to David. This is what God's going to do out of his own zeal for David. Number one, this is in verse 12. He says, David, your kingdom is going to last forever. David, your work is going to be eternal. What you do is going to last forever. I'm going to make your work eternal. Second, you will have abundant provision. Verse 15. Verse 16, you will be clothed with salvation and joy. And verse 17, you are going to be a lamp for others. You are going to burn and it's not just going to be you, but I'm, go I'm going to make my influence through you by my presence. I'm going to do this out of my own zeal because of the response of your heart to me. Why is this so important? This is the vision of City Church. That's why City Church came together. The reason why we do Pray 132 is from Psalm 132. The pastors have all agreed to take the, the night hours because of this verse about uh, God's more important than our sleep. <laughs> to make a place for his presence. To have a church that's not about the personality. It's not about the awesome, cool worship. It's about his presence. Do you know what our prayer is for people that come here? That what they're going to be saying when they leave the church, when they're, when they're in their parking lot, they visited this church and they're, they're on their way out. Here, here's our prayer. That what they're talking about is not, I just like that pastor. He's so funny and clever. 
I just, I really like that. Or, or we don't want them talking about, oh, wasn't that, I loved that worship. That worship was so beautiful. And I love the songs they chose. And, and they even threw in a couple of hymns. And oh, that was just so nice. Or, or the, build, the facilities were so beautiful. And everything ran so smooth and efficiently. And, and no, we don't want them talking about any of that. You know what we want them talking about when they leave the, the, the parking lot? Where our heart's not burning within us. Oh my, God is alive. Even though I didn't really like the color of the pews, I didn't, I didn't really, the worship wasn't that amazing and the preacher was inadequate or maybe not this or that. He had this problem or that, but oh my, God was there. God was there. God is alive. So we've been contending for the presence of God. We've been contending that he would be the middle. And last night, the glory of God poured out on our youth. It was stunning. We did this retreat called I Must and I Command Parents that had the courage to send their kids in the middle of COVID-19 and kids for, to sign up in the middle of COVID-19 with all the stuff. And, but there we are. There's probably 50 or 60 of us. And um, God had been inviting us. We, we did Repentance Friday night and Identity on uh, Saturday morning, but it was all preparation for Saturday night. Saturday night was on the anointing on God's manifest presence that we need to set other people free. But before we can set other people free, we, we need to be set free. God's, God's, the, God's glory needs to come and heal our trauma and break our darkness. And, and that, that this, this is the key. The key is not our great zeal for God and some great commitment we're going to make. No, 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 no. It's the other way around. It's God's zeal for us. It's God's grace toward us and that, that we need to encounter that and I and I, I said to our, our young our students, I said, guys, I I'm sorry. I, the, the the wickedness and the distraction of your generation is so great. You guys aren't gonna make it with a couple Bible verses and an argument about God's existence. The only way you guys are gonna make it is getting your identity in the actual love of God, the actual presence of God. You are actually going to have to have encounters with God that waste you for anything less than that. And, uh, and so, I, so we set up last night. It was all about encounter. And here's how it worked. I told a few stories. We brought the worship team up. And Joe, Pastor Joe, Pastor Derek, and myself all had little anointing bottles, and I said, we're, the way we're going to do this tonight, guys, is uh, I'm going to do a prayer, and if the Holy Spirit comes on you while I'm praying, we're going to assume that you're supposed to be first. So you just, if the Holy Spirit starts moving on you, come up, and we're just going to anoint you and bless you. We're going to bless what God's already started in you. And I said, now, 
what you're going to experience is the glory of God. The word in, in Hebrew for glory is weight. It's the tangible weight of God. And when it comes on you, you're going to feel it and you're going to, you're going to get tipsy. And I said on Sunday mornings when I'm praying for people and I see the glory of God coming on them, I put a, I put a hand on their back so, uh, so they don't fall over. I said, but we're not going to do that tonight. In fact, we're going to have catchers behind you. We want you to allow God to do everything he wants to do. And if, if, if you feel tipsy, just go ahead and fall over and let God overcome you. Let God heal your, your trauma. Let God break darkness over you by his presence. And I said, now, I want to warn you that when you are overcome by the Holy Spirit and the manifest glory of God and this weight is on you, you may be in unable to move. And I don't want you to freak out. <laughs> You're in a very, very safe place. You're in the Father's love. And he's just ministering to you. Just, just, it's not done yet. Just rest. Just let God operate. Let God do whatever he wants to do. And so, uh, so we pray this prayer. And... Uh, and I said, no, so if God, if the Holy Spirit just came on you right now, you're, that's your invitation, so come on up. And so three kids came up. I told the worship team to start, and what I said to everybody else is, we're going to pray for these three, and while we're praying for them, if the Holy Spirit comes on you and invites you, you, you come up. And so we just, we anoint these three and pray for them, and the, the glory of God just overcomes these kids, and they're, they're on the floor. Um, the Bible says in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters. And I'll tell you what, folks, when you see it live, it's incredible. We got done praying with the, for these three, and there were three more waiting. And God started laying these kids out all over the building. The, our catchers called it human Tetris because we had, the, we had a huge altar, but there were kids laid out all over the place, all down the aisles. This worship team is playing, and the, and the glory of God just keeps increasing. Kids are, are, are trembling, shaking. They're crying. They're laughing. The, the glory of God is resting on these young people, and they've never experienced something this real before. Some of these kids got so saturated in the Holy Spirit that when they got up, they just fell back down. They, could, they, they, they couldn't get up. And, and, there, and, and I, you know, when people would come over and say, he's, he's trembling, he's shaking. I'm like, you know, God, let God do what God's doing. That's just a human response to the presence of God. But let's let God do what he's doing. Because what these young people are going to face out there requires something more. So I, I was a little concerned about the kids there that were there that don't go to our church and what they're going to tell their parents happened. <laughs> because it, wa it wasn't a few. And my prayer all week had been, God, please, not, not 10. Not the, the ones that always get touched. I want it to be everyone. This is how it was. This one girl that I have never seen before, she was down for about an hour. And I came over to her, and she had her eyes open. I said, honey, how are you doing? And she said, 
I can move my hands, but I can't move anything else. I'm like, are you ready to get up? She's like, yeah. I'm like, come on. This little, little young guy who got radically touched by God, he said, uh, he said, Pastor Tom, would you pray for my, my older brother? And uh, I'm like, absolutely. So I go over and, and, and tap the older brother. I say, hey, dude, can I, can I pray for you? And he's, sure. So he comes up and I immediately knew, I start praying for his older brother. I immediately knew why he hadn't come up because he felt like he was too bad. God might want to touch these other, but he doesn't want to touch me. I'm, I'm too bad of a sinner. Well, guess what? God did want to touch him. God wanted to touch him. God wanted to pour glory out on him. Do you know what Isaiah 62 says? This is the plan for the end times. Deep darkness is on the people, but the glory of the Lord is going to rise upon you. This is not about your deep darkness. This is not about your goodness and something you're going to do to earn God. No, it's not about that. This is about his glory. This is about his goodness. This is about his grace that's able to overcome. The verse I've been praying into all week long was, where sin abounds, may grace abound all the more. That, that these kids, they're into stuff. They've watched stuff. They're, they're distracted 24-7. Please, God, overcome it all. And reveal your glory over these kids. It was, it was absolutely stunning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up quickly. <laughs> I got to drive home. I had to come home last night. And there were five kids that needed to come with me. And so they each gave a testimony. I asked them what was the highlight. And for every one of them, it was God touching them that night. And how, it, it, how they experienced it and what was happening to them. And the, the, one of the kids said this. He said, if everyone could experience what I experienced tonight, the whole world would be Christian. a prophet in Australia. I've shared, he had three prophetic things about America. God speaks to this guy about America. His name is John Heman, and I've shared those prophecies before, but he he got another one about America, and here's what it was, that that God is bringing the church in America into a new wineskin. Church is never going to go back to how it was, guys. He said, some of the good things that we miss from church are never coming back. And, and we just, the church in America needs to get ready. It's going to look different. And you just need to be okay. You need to adjust your life to the new wineskin. Here's what I believe with all of my heart. You guys can stand. Here's what I believe with all of my heart. God's turning up the heat in his church. It's, it's, it's time to let grace set a fire in, in us. It, 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 it's time to make a choice. It's time to get off the fence. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how many bad things have happened to you. None of that disqualifies you. But God is asking in this hour for a response. So we'll pray in just a second. Let's do this song first. So here, here.
here are the uh, here are the two responses first one if you lost your joy if you have sinned and made a disconnect and you've been just using you're, you're here and you're, you're here online and but it really it's just a religious cover-up because you never really dealt with what disconnected you God God's here right now he doesn't want you to be a spectator he doesn't want you to be an outsider he wants to forgive you and he wants to restore joy so if that's you would you just open your arms whether you're here or online Lord remember us not according to our sins but according to your cross according to the mercy that you release to the human race on the cross Lord we don't deserve it you don't owe it to us but Lord this is why you died Lord forgive all of our cover-ups especially our religious cover-ups we cast ourselves right now before you and say God forgive me wash me I want to respond to your kindness and your goodness by living a life worthy of you and not causing your enemies to blaspheme because they look at my life please God create in me a clean heart oh God and renew a willing spirit again a spirit that wants to Restore the joy, the secret joy of being loved and of being yours. Restore the joy of my salvation, oh God. Please, God, I want to be all in. And then the second response is to come tonight to worshiping and waiting, whether you come live or you come online. Listen. There is a place where God reveals himself. You need to see more of his glory to sell more for joy. The secret to devotion is to see more, to experience more. You're going to, if you do come tonight, if you've never been here before, you're not going to be that impressed. It'll be us and that we'll be worshiping. And the, the power of this time is not what we're doing. It's God's response. And God comes and he opens up our heart and he shows us a little more. And it's very inefficient how it works. You just try to show up and you just get honest. And then this mystery happens. There's a song about it actually. That as we see him in, in the light of his glory and of his grace, the world becomes strangely dim by a mystery to us without us having to say, I'm not going to go into the world anymore. I'm not going to be about that. I'm going to be up God without us even having to do that. There's just a, as you behold him, as you behold his presence, as you get a little more glimpse, the, the things of the world just, they lose their their hold, they, they lose their effect and, and all of a sudden it's just like why would I ever want to do that, that and, uh, Jesus more and you become wasted for anything less than the burning presence and glory of God guys he's raising up a church in this hour that's going to carry his glory and he's inviting you and me to be part of it 
So I'm going to encourage you to come tonight or check it out online.